0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your life in us that is truly life. And we pray today as we open your word that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts, that we might receive your message and that we might use it in your power this week to uh, shine light where there needs to be light and to offer zest and flavor and healing where that needs to be experienced by those around us. And God, most of all, we pray that our lives would bring you glory this week by your presence in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as I was sitting here at the first worship gathering this morning after the Lord's Supper and before I stood up here, I was reminded of Grandma Kant's. Grandma Kantz went to Gypsy Christian Church, and everybody under 10 called her Grandma Kantz. and I was actually six before I figured out that she wasn't my grandma. Um, she was in charge of communion or Lord's Supper at uh, Gypsy Christian Church, which we celebrated every week. And every week, Mrs. Kant's Grandma Kant's would fill up two trays, 48 in each tray, 96 cups. And every week, about 35 people came. And what I gained from Grandma kants was faith. This woman believed every week, 96 people are going to show up. I'm going to have 96 cups of you know, juice ready for the Lord's Supper. And I saw that every week. And, and I actually saw it up close and personal because every week after church was over, from the time I was about four, I would go up and drink the rest of the juice that was left over. <laughs> when I got to be six and my brother Ken got to be four, then he took half. But... Um, And I know if your background is Catholic right now, you're sort of mortified that I drank probably 60 cups of communion juice every week. Um, Maybe that's why I'm spiritually strong. I don't know. Um, But in any case, in any case, my point is that Grandma Cance, Grandma Cance had a big impact on my life. And it just really hit me this morning as I was sitting right over there in first service because she was the first great woman of faith I ever met. And in my 59 years of being alive on the planet, I've seen many men and women of faith, and they've impacted my life greatly. That's why I'm here today. And I hope and pray that you have been part of the church family uh, for much of your life. And if you haven't, that even today that you'll start to realize that this eternal family, which we often think of as eternal only once we go to see Jesus, um, it starts now. And we get to live out that life day by day. And that's what we're going to be talking about, as I said it during the the Lord's Supper, and and, uh, as we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22 today. And if if you have your uh, study guide with you, we're doing a summer series called Sit, Walk, Stand. And sit comes from chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, which we just talked about last week, that we get to sit in the heavenlies with Jesus. It's our position. We're seated with him because he rose from the dead and he gave us a new life. And then in chapter 4, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about walking or living in his ways. And then in verse or chapter 6, he talks about standing against the enemy, which is the devil. So that's where the series title comes from. And if you would like a book and you don't have one, if you raise your hand right now, they'll make sure you get one. We still have some left. So if you'd like one, you can raise your hand and get one. But we'll be on page 22 talking about the ultimate citizenship. And I have left this country many times now. I, I think uh, this August will be the 36th time I've gone out of the country for a mission trip. Um, and we're going to Cambodia in August. And I've traveled to nations where being a citizen of the United States of America ab- meant absolutely nothing. In, in fact, I had no special privileges, no special favors because I had a U.S. passport. In fact, in some of the countries I've gone to, it, it's really probably not a good idea to let people know that you're a U.S. citizen. Because uh, we're often called ugly Americans for a reason. You know, there, there, there is often... Um, the attitude that we, well, we go to wherever we go and we expect people to speak English, right? I mean, I know the first time I went to Mexico, I said to this guy, he's Mexican, and I said, you need to speak English. And he said, estamos en México. That means we're in Mexico. And, and then he went on in Spanish to say, when I'm in America, I'll speak English, but when you're here, I think you ought to speak Spanish. And so I've been working at learning Spanish ever since, and I try to only go to countries where they speak that um, so that I'm able to communicate, you know, because it it is a little arrogant as a citizen of any country to think that our country has the right language and everybody else has the wrong language. Um, And so what we're going to talk about today is not just being citizens of the United States of America, and please don't think I'm here to bash America. I love America. I'm so glad I was born here. I'm glad I still live here, and I hope that I get to live here for the rest of my life. Um, But there is no nation under the stars on this planet that is perfect. And the citizenship we're going to talk about today is the citizenship in the kingdom of God. And as we turn to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 and following, what the Apostle Paul is going to do is be very direct with the Ephesian believers because they were Gentiles. Gentiles were non-Jews. In other words, if you're not a Jew by birth, you're a Gentile. Anybody here a Jew by birth? So we're all Gentiles. So Paul was speaking to us, believers who have a background that's not Jewish. And Paul was able to speak from a very strong Jewish background because he was a Pharisee. And, and so what he's going to say is to the Ephesian believers, your situation was bad. He's going to be blunt about that. And even though he's already told us in chapter 1 that Jesus died to redeem all people, not just Jews, even though he's already told us in chapter 1 that once Jesus and, and his blood shed on the cross is received for us personally in our lives, whether Jew or Gentile, we have the infinite cosmic power of God in our lives so that we can be transformed from the inside out. And even though last week in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, he told us that we can sit beside Jesus because of what Jesus has done, no matter whether we're Jew or Gentile, he's going to take a little bit of time now and remind us of who we were as Gentiles. So would you turn with me, or you can look up on the screen, or uh, or just listen. As we turn to verse 11, oh, I forgot to say the take-home point. For those of you who are new here, we have one point we seek to make every week, and and here's this week's take-home point. Jesus broke every barrier to our citizenship as God's people. So God's people were the Jews, and um, nobody else could be God's people unless the Jews shared the relationship, which they were supposed to do, by the way. If you read Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was told, you know, I'm a founding you as a nation, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. But um, some people have forgotten, you know, their citizenship is supposed to be shared with others, their blessings are supposed to be shared, and the Jews certainly had done that. And so now Paul um, is going to say to the Ephesian believers who they are by birth. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So Paul's words point to what we might call national pride. The Jews were proud of who they were. They were proud that when their little boys were eight days old, they were circumcised to remind everybody in the community that that child belonged to God, that belonged to the nation of Israel, and they had this legacy of pride in being God's chosen ones. And here in America, we have a legacy, I think. We're proud of being a free nation, right? We're proud of the fact that we want justice and equality for all people. Those are good things, and we're proud of those things. And, and what Paul said about the Jews was that their pride was misplaced because it was really only a physical thing. It wasn't really a spiritual thing. And, and he said, you you all were heathens, That's not really a very nice thing to say about anybody, is it? And then he goes on to say something even more. He says, in those days when you were heathens, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So the Ephesians, as Gentiles, lived without God and without hope. That's a bleak thing, to live without God and without hope. And and so Jesus came 2,000 years ago to bring God to all of us and to bring hope to all of us. And the thing is, for the last 2,000 years, all around the world, the good news of Jesus Christ has been shed and spread and and given. and, And people's lives have been transformed in cultures all over the world, but never more than in this culture. 240 years ago, this nation was founded on some principles <laughs> that, that that and who who gave us these rights that we have god i mean if you look at the declaration of independence you know you 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 look at what we were as a nation we were escaping from a bunch of nations in europe primarily at that time where people were being persecuted because they believed a certain thing about god and specifically the god of the bible And so we came here and we founded a nation founded on principles that were biblical. In fact, Monroe said that apart from the biblical principles that we have founded this nation on, it won't endure for very long. And so now we fast forward 240 years and we live in a same culture, same country, same nation. But often what, what Paul said of the Ephesian believers is true in this culture. We're without God and without hope. And how do I know that? Because in the the generation of teenagers that are in this country right now, after accidental death, the most common form of death is suicide. Because there is no hope when there is no God. And suicide is increasing across all the generations. And what I'm doing is I'm doing what Paul did. (laughs) I'm telling you the bad news. Because you can't know good news until you know the bad news. The bad news is we're without God and without hope. That's how we're born, without God and without hope. And now he's going to say two, three-letter words in English. They're a little bit different than that in Greek. But, but in English, there are two, three-letter words. I love these three-letter words that Paul uses. But now. But now, he says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Now, I don't know if you noticed this last week if you were here when we were talking about being seated with Jesus But Paul kept pointing to Jesus. He kept saying, you don't get to sit in that chair because you're good. You don't get to sit in that chair because of anything you've done. We get to sit in that chair because of what Jesus did. He died. He rose again from the dead. He lived a perfect life. We didn't do any of that. And it's by grace we've been saved through faith. So we can't even brag about it. (laughs) Look what I did. I accepted Jesus. Well, that's not, that's, no, what we did was we received the, the grace and the goodness and the salvation that Jesus died to purchase. And now what he's saying is, you Gentiles, which is all of us, we Gentiles, we were without God and without hope. But now <laughs> Jesus came. And he died, and he rose again. And because he shed his blood, we can have this new life. And that's what he's talking about. And then he goes on to say, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He brought peace to us. And isn't that a powerful word, peace? In this day and age, all around, we we constantly hear people saying, We want peace. We want peace in the world. We want want the fighting to stop. We want the wars to end. We want the poverty to be over with. We want everybody to experience peace. And what Paul says is, Jesus did that already. Jesus brought peace. He took the two groups. There's only two groups of people, according to Paul, Jews and non-Jews. And he brought them together. He took the dividing wall that had divided them ever since God had established one nation as his nation. And there had been battles ever since among the Jews and the Gentiles. And he broke that wall down and he gave us all the possibility to belong to the same family. And it says this. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. So Paul a man who was a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews. He had memorized probably what we call the first five books of the Old Testament. He had most likely memorized all 150 Psalms. He had probably memorized much of the books of the prophets, memorized. I mean, he could spout it off to you. And and he knew that this was the way you became good and this was the way you you got on God's good side. And, And he said, no, 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 I was wrong. I was wrong. There's no way to get on God's good side except for Jesus. He 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 took away all of that system of law and he gave us a system of grace. And so now the two have become one. And this is the thing, and I want you to see this. It's, uh, Paul assumed that all people would receive the citizenship that Jesus died to purchase for them. Paul assumed that because he said Jesus has reconciled. He doesn't say someday everybody's going to be reconciled. He says Jesus has already reconciled all of us. Jesus has brought us all together. There's no longer two groups of people or ten groups of people. There, there are no, there's no longer Jews and Gentiles. There's just us. We're one people, one kingdom, and that kingdom is the kingdom of God. And so what happens is Paul says, here's how this can happen. And and we know, we look around 2,000 years later, and what do we see? We see war going on. We see poverty going on. We see injustice going on. We see all of these things going on, and we say, wait a minute. I, I thought there was already peace. I thought Jesus had reconciled all of us. And this is what Jesus says. This is why it hasn't happened yet. It says, He, Jesus, brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus has already reconciled all of us in the whole planet. He has already reconciled us to himself. He's already done it, but we can only receive it through Jesus We can only receive it through the power of his Holy Spirit. And and we won't receive all that God has to offer us and that unity that God created for us in Jesus Christ until we all believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he is Savior and that he is Lord. And and I know what, what the American mind says when we hear that. The American mind says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't we have the right As not we have the freedom as Americans to believe whatever we want to believe. Don't people have the right to, to say whatever they want to say. Don't people have the right to, to, to do whatever they want to do. And if, if they, if some people think that this book isn't true, what right do we have to say that it is? If, if some people have want to say that Jesus is a myth, how can we say that he isn't? Don't they have the right as Americans to believe whatever they want? Yes, yes, yes. We do have the right as Americans to believe whatever we want. I'm, I'm not diminishing that right. <laughs> it's a wonderful right. In fact, I, I disagree with a lot of people, but I say they have the right to say it because I'm an American. And, and that's true and good. But the bottom line is this. There is truth. And, and, and it's only been in the last, basically, 150 years that people have denied that, that there's truth. There is truth. And, and, and the reality is that as Americans, we have changed the meaning of words, like tolerance, for example, I can tell you what tolerate means. It means I have a little brother named Ken. When I was growing up, I tolerated him. <laughs> I didn't kill him. That's what tolerate means. I put up with him. Most days I didn't even punch him. Okay? That's tolerance. We we talked with each other, we disagreed about stuff, and we but not not now. Tolerance today means accept. I have to accept whatever everybody believes as equally true. There is no more ludicrous idea in the world than that every idea is equally true. If I say it's dark and you say it's light, are those statements equally true? No, because it's light. And if I say it's dark, I'm just wrong, okay? So, all right, well, that's a sermon for another day. But, but for today... But for today, the point that God is making through the Apostle Paul in these words is that Jesus has already reconciled us, and he is the way for that reconciliation to be lived out. And until we get to that truth, we'll never experience that reconciliation. And some people say that's too narrow. But it's only narrow if you don't accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that No one comes to the Father except through him. And so um, Jesus opened up the door to reconciliation to everyone. and, And so he says this. Paul says, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family You know, the Jews and Gentiles hated each other. They had killed each other. They had, you know, they had said bad things about each other. They didn't want to have anything to do with each other. And now, what God says is, you're now members of the same family and citizens of the same kingdom. And the right to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and the right to be a member of God's family was established in the order of creation because God created people in the order of creation Genesis 1 and 2. You can look it up. And He had created us to be His, and He had created us to. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and rule over it together. That was God's plan, and we messed up the plan. And and so now God is giving us another opportunity to come together as one. That's what Paul is saying. And and as we think about that, I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little odd to you at first. In fact, you, you need to listen carefully to what I'm saying, what I'm not saying. I'm saying that the problem that we have in this nation today is that it's just like in the days of the judges. It says, Everybody did what was right in his or her own eyes because there was no king in Israel. And what I'm saying today, the problem that we have as Americans is there is not the right king in America today. Now you're saying, well, you're saying you want King George back? No, that's the wrong king. We figured that out 240 years ago, right? What I'm saying is there is one king, king of kings, Lord of lords, and we need him as king in our life today. And we get to, you know, we're Americans, so we get to vote for the president, and we get to vote for all the senators, hundreds of federal officials. We get to vote for thousands of state and local officials, and we get to decide who is going to argue about what's best for us. And after they argue about what's best for us, the majority votes, except in this day and age, the minority votes, and then we get to be stuck with that. Am I complaining? Yes, I am. Okay, I'm complaining there are 340 million Americans and. I have to vote for one of the two that are running. (laughs) I'm complaining that at the end of the day, the principles on which this nation were founded are no longer the principles under which it's governed. And and I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that it's the best country in the world. You know, human systems are always fallible. Republic is you know, a bad system. Like Winston Churchill said, democracy is the worst system save for all the rest. You know, there is no better human system. But what I'm advocating today is that all of us who say we're Christians would follow the king once again, Jesus. Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And until we accept that citizenship as our primary citizenship, we will never be the best citizens we can be in any nation. You know, the thing that I've noticed in Cuba, China... Cambodia, various places, is when people are Christians, really Christians, they're good citizens. They really are good citizens. That doesn't mean they'll always obey the government because the government isn't always good. But it means to the best of our ability, we will always obey the government unless the government tells us to do something that's contrary to the will of our king, Jesus And so Paul, as he's talking about all of these things, reminds us that while the message isn't popular, it wasn't popular 2,000 years ago, it's not popular today, it will always be true. There is a God who has a son named Jesus, who died on the cross, rose again, who went to heaven, who sent his spirit to live in those who believe in him and who's coming back. And one day, we know we're never going to have to vote again or get to vote again, however you want to look at it, because his will will reign. And so Paul closes out this little section where he reminds the or I'm sorry, the Ephesian believers who they are by changing metaphors. He's been talking about citizens in the ultimate kingdom, and now he calls us a house. That's an odd thing to call people. But he says this as he closes out. Together we are his house, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ himself, Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. Through him... You Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his love. I love that image. I'm a carpenter by background, so I love the image of building a house. And I know that when you build any house, you start with a foundation. I mean, if you don't have a good foundation, you'll never have a good house. And he says, interesting what he says, he says the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. What's that about? Because is he saying that human beings are the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ? Not at all. What he's saying is the truth is the foundation because the apostles and the prophets are given the truth of God by God himself and they share it with us and so the foundation of our faith is truth. And then we are a house. And the interesting thing is you can't see it because of the um the tent wall here, but I can see through that thing there's a building over there. And a lot of people think that a building is a church. A building is not a church. This is the church. And the metaphor here is we're a house. And the interesting thing is a long, long time ago, Pastor Rick Warren out in California, he made a couple metaphors. First off, he said, a shoe should never determine the size of a foot. And then he said, a building should never determine the size of a church. In other words, the building should facilitate the growth of the church. And so three years ago, when we moved from the elementary school here to this building, those of us who were sort of, you know, in the leadership at that time, we knew something was true. That shoe is too small for our foot. But it was the biggest shoe we could buy at the time. And so now I want to introduce to those of you who weren't here on Friday night a picture. And this picture is going to paint you know, the expression of what the next part of the shoe is going to look like for the foot known as New Life Christian Ministries. If you see the building with the cross on it on the left, that cross was supposed to be there uh, three months after the building opened up so that people wouldn't think it's New Life Restaurant or New Life Inn or New Life Horse Barn. Um, but it will be there eventually. Um, that's the building we now have. And then on the right is the Children, Nurture, and Discipleship Center. And that's the next building that we're going to be building here at New Life so that the house known as New Life Christian Ministries can continue to grow. And I share that with you because on this 15th anniversary, we are celebrating what God has done. And the building on the left is something of what God has done. But much more importantly is all of you who are here because this is what God has done. In some of your lives, you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right here in this community of believers, this family. Some of you came in from other places, and you've told me that you've never experienced the love of Jesus like you have here. And, and just Friday night, somebody came as a guest for the very first time, never been part of New Life, and went home and said to the person that invited her, I've never been welcomed as a perfect stranger any place like I was here. I, 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 I didn't think I needed a church, but now I realize I do. Notice we weren't in a building when she said that. She doesn't need a building. She needs people, the, the house of God. But we all need a building so that the children who are being born, and there seems to be more of that going on around here lately, that's a good thing. you know. As the children are being born, they can be brought up in an environment where they can hear about the truth of God and live out the love of God and experience the love of God from all of us. And so that we can, together, continue to be this house that's growing and growing and growing. I remember outdoor worship gatherings here at New Life before we had that building. And we had a tent about that size, of the, where the, the little tent right there, and another little tent. We didn't need a 40 by 140 foot tent to fit in everybody that came to the potluck. But we needed it on Friday night. And I'm guessing we might need a bigger tent someday. I don't know if they make bigger tents, but this is a pretty good size. I guess we can get Barnum and Bailey and ask them if we can borrow their tent. You know, but I don't want to look ahead. I want to look where we are today. This group of people has listened to the voice of God. And we know this found people find people found people. That means we were lost, right? But we've been found, and so found people, find people, and that's what you've all been doing. You've been inviting people to come, and when you, when you bring them, the people that are already here, remember that we were lost too, and so we welcome each other. And I know that's hard for some of you because some of you are introverted, but nevertheless, you smile at people, you know, you welcome people, and, and you be the church. We be the church. I know that might be bad grammar, but it isn't really. Okay, and we be the church to people so that we all together can grow and we're actually, I want to introduce a new part of the mission statement. I've said since day one of New Life, we're never changing the mission statement. It's sharing the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. Never going to change as long as I'm the lead pastor. Well, never came sooner than I expected. We're going to add two words, okay? We're going to share, grow, and live. Share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. Because as we move forward, and this is the only moving forward thing I'm going to say this morning, we realize something. We've been sharing the new life of Jesus Christ in this community, this region, nation, to the ends of the earth for 15 years as a church family. And people have been responding. And so some people have come. They've been born again. They're here. You're here. And and so now it's time to grow. We have been growing. Spiritually, I'm talking about growing physically, growing in every way. All right, And so what we want to do now is we want to acknowledge in our, in our conscious statement of mission that after we know Jesus, we want to grow in him. And then as we grow in him, we want to live. Share, grow, live. Live means go out in the world with our families first, with our folks we go to school with in you know September to May, the folks we work with on a day-by-day basis, and we want to show them. The light of Jesus Christ and the, and the taste, the salt. You know, we, I, I love this image. I love salt. I know it's so supposed to be bad for you. But when I cook a steak, I've eaten steak without salt. Might as well not eat a steak with no salt. Okay? So you put the salt on the steak, and how does it taste? So much better, like 100 times better. And, and the thing about salt is when you put salt on something, it makes the thing taste like it's supposed to taste. You put pepper on something, it tastes like pepper. You know what I'm saying? So we're not supposed to draw attention to ourselves. We're supposed to add life and flavor and zest to things. Okay, so anyway, that share, grow, live thing, you're going to see it everywhere here at New Life as we move into the future. And we're actually going to start an initiative. I even forgot to say this the last two times. Um, We're going to start an initiative this summer and fall. It actually will culminate in November to raise funds, additional funds, for um, that building addition. And uh, we're going to make sure that everybody understands what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to walk together into the future. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to help more people become part of the family, more people become citizens of the eternal kingdom of God. I want to close this out with this commitment today because when we're talking about citizenship, it's very important for us to understand something about that citizenship. It says, I will live as a citizen of God's eternal kingdom in ways that make a here and now difference this week. When I was a little kid, I once heard somebody say about a person that went to the church I went to. She's so heavenly-minded, she's no earthly good. She's so heavenly-minded, she's no earthly good. In other words, she read her Bible a lot, she prayed a lot, but she didn't ever, I mean, she came to church like, you know, she had lost her best friend and she'd been eating pickle juice, you know, for breakfast. She just was a sour person, but she read the Bible and she prayed and she was waiting for Jesus to come back. You know, Well, that's not really helpful, especially in a culture that doesn't even believe there's truth. It's not helpful in a culture that has forgotten the principles on which the culture was founded. So how do we make a difference in a way that's earthly good? Well, when somebody is hungry, we give them something to eat. When somebody you know, is, is poor, we help them out. When, when somebody needs to hear the good news of Jesus, we tell them about it. And, and we, maybe it just means smiling. Maybe it just means sitting there and crying with somebody who's just broken. And so all of those things are practical things that we can do. And as we do that, day by day, week by week, month by month, until Jesus comes back. And I, and I made somebody almost pass out this morning because I said I actively pray for Jesus to not come back. Because there's people that are just sitting waiting for Jesus to come back. I pray every day that he won't because there's 4 billion people that are going to die and go to hell if Jesus comes back today. And I don't know about you, but I really don't want to see 4 billion people die and go to hell without Jesus. So I pray two things, you know, fill me up with your Holy Spirit so I can honor you and don't come back just yet. Because I want to see, I want to see people live. The citizenship in God's kingdom is free. Jesus purchased for it with his blood, but you have to receive it. And and those of us who are already part of the kingdom have to show those who aren't, not that we're right, we are. You know, not that we're better, we're not. But that we have truth that will change us from the inside out. And that the vehicle that we dispense that truth in is love. So let's pray for that for the next 15 years or 15 minutes or however long it is until Jesus comes back and says, no more voting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much that Jesus Christ is king, whether we acknowledge him or not. I thank you so much that as king, he died and rose again so that we could be citizens of that kingdom. God, I thank you today that we get to live in a place where at this moment we can say what we want about pretty much anything. And God, I pray that more and more, those of us who bear the name of Jesus Christ and our family members of you, our Heavenly Father, members of the eternal kingdom of God, will say what's true and good and right and honorable, that we will glorify you in our lives today so that you may be glorified by all tomorrow. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.